Welcome to Resting Witch Face, your one-stop haunt for all things spooky, bitchy, and more. I'm Bailey Bennett. I am Grant Jacoby. Here we are with another regular length episode. Yes. Hopefully you guys are liking the new system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how are you? I'm good. Yeah? I um, Big news, my family is going to Disney World at the beginning of March. So that is really taking up all my time as I are you going meticulously plan that. Of course, I pushed it on everyone <laughs> aggressively. Um, so yeah, just just sorting out those dining reservations and fast passes like a normal adult. Um, it was to the point where my mom like had to beg my brother to come because he's at that phase where he's like 22 years old. And when the suggestion that we might go to Disney World together came up, he was just like, guys it's like so fucking weird like honestly like i'm not doing that and guess who's fucking coming (laughs) so (laughs) i'm going to miami in april and fun i'm like debating driving up to disney for a day it's like do it it's like a three-hour drive oh my god you should totally do it you should check out (laughs) or like this is not an ad for disney world um i would die if they ever sponsored us but they're doing these like after hours events where you pay like basically normal ticket price to get like three or four hours in the park after it's closed and you're only there with like a couple hundred other people Mm -hmm. so basically everything is a walk-on and it's just like empty that's my dream um so i would look into that in case they're doing it in april and you want to just like go for a couple hours they're called like after um after hours events they're doing them in hollywood studios magic kingdom and animal kingdom so Anyway, I wasn't um, expecting to, t- to talk about that on this podcast, but here we are. I know, <laughs> I know we. I feel like, I feel like we, it's we might as well just have like a like a bowl mm-hmm. of topics mm-hmm. that we love to talk about. It'd just be like Disneyland, The Office, mm-hmm. weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we what, love talking about the weather. We, we love it. How hot is it in here? Let's just it's get a really quick hot. read. That's right. Um, um, most of that heat is coming from me. But oh, of course. I mean, honey, you're lit on fire what do they <laughs> what do the kids say um i know we have you have kind of a long story this week so we wanted yeah. to get into it a little bit quicker yeah, just like j- jump right on in mm-hmm. uh feet first deep end who's the baddest bitch of the week lay it on me okay so well you already know i do but, but i the badass was bitch- going to pretend like i didn't <laughs> i'm sorry um our badass bitch this week is none other than legend icon mary shelley Mm-hmm. And she's here with us today. Come on out, Mary. <laughs> Amazing. You look great for being 250 years old. Um, so Mary Shelley, if you don't know, and you should, is the author of the original Frankenstein novel. But she really is so much more than that. Um, she, to me, is like, she's been on my radar for a long time. Frankenstein is a fantastic book, if you haven't read it. Like, it truly exceeds expectations for something that's like so well known at this point i feel like a lot of people are like i don't need to read the source material you should fucking read the source Mm -hmm. material um but she first of all is the daughter of mary wollstonecraft who is like 
also an icon in terms of women's rights issues. And she was like, she was a feminist before any of us were a feminist. And like, she, she's very instrumental um, in the women's movement. Um, and, she, and, and Mary Shelley herself, I think is also a, um, a really important person in the feminist movement, just because when she was writing ghost stories, there were not women out there who were, who were writing horror stories like this. Um, she, when she was 16, eloped to Italy with the poet um, Percy Shelley, who was also pretty well known at the time. Um, his He was married and his wife ended up committing suicide about two years later, um, which is not great. But um, Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley lived on happily together and, and ended up having many children. Um, but I think like... Many more Shelleys. <laughs> many, many more. Um, I think one of the you know the the infamous story around the the way that came, that Frankenstein <laughs> um, I'm so sorry <laughs> the way that Frankenstein came to be um was in 1816 when um Mary Shelley and her husband and Lord Byron and the woman that he had gotten pregnant <laughs> and some other influential authors at the time traveled to um, Geneva in Switzerland for this like summer holiday. And there was one night where they were all sitting around this bonfire kind of like talking about scary stories and they all challenged each other to write the scariest story that they could. Mm. And that is actually how Mary Shelley came up with the idea for Frankenstein, wow. um, which That's is cool. really cool. And she kind of like won the contest, you would say. Rightfully so. Exactly. Um, and I think kind of hasn't gotten the recognition that she's deserved for a lot of her life because a lot of people, first of all, I mean, she collaborated, she's said to have like collaborated on Frankenstein with her husband and he was the one who encouraged her to change it from a short story to like a full length novel. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people just like make the assumption that she didn't actually write it herself, which I feel pretty confident is not the case. Um, and kind of since her death, there a lot more of her works have come out and she really is like this prolific author and Frankenstein is a really powerful book. For those of you who don't know, Frankenstein is not actually the name of the monster. The no. monster is just called the monster. Frankenstein is the scientist who decides to create the monster. And it is a really interesting look at what it means to be human and humanity in general. And like, you really feel for this creature that's been like built out of the pieces of other humans, but never will be human and never will experience like the companionship that he desires. And it's really, it's, it's so scary in a lot of ways, but also just a really, really great read. So how, how did that narrative get switched that people started calling the monster just Frankenstein? I think like when it became more of like a media phenomenon and started being turned into films and things like that, I think that because Frankenstein sounds like a great monster name. And I think that they made the switch. I think in a lot of the films, the monster is called Frankenstein. Oh. Um, but actually in the original text, that's not the case. Yes, I've, I've read the book. Yeah, so it's like... Classic like freshman year English class. Right, I'm like <laughs> coming at you hot with um, a book recommendation that you were probably required to read <laughs> at age 14, but like it's here like we next are. Next week, we're <laughs> here to talk about the Scarlet Letter. <laughs> um, anyway... Anyway, I also will continue talking because I have a hate that scared the shit out of me. Lay it on me. To do before Grant does his main story this week. The subject of this email is shadow people. So uh -oh. it is applicable to the story that I told last week. 
Um, and this is from a listener named Manette, which is like a very cool name. Don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, obviously. Um, but Manette writes, Hi, bitches. I wanted to share a creepy experience I had as a child. I don't remember how old I was, but probably about six or seven, though I may have been younger. Some backstory. I grew up in rural Minnesota, about two hours north of the Twin Cities in a tiny town called Askov, and we lived a few miles outside of town on a small farm. Our house was actually less than a mile from a cemetery, and my siblings and I used to hang out there and ride our bikes. Fun. Um, we love a cemetery. There was an old house on our property that my dad grew up in, and my grandparents lived there until my grandpa died when I was five. My grandma then moved into a retirement community in town. My mom wanted to burn the house down when my grandma moved out because it's really gross. <laughs> She wasn't able to because of the asbestos. Oh, God. But my dad probably wouldn't have let her burn it down anyway because he was very attached to it and ended up using one of the downstairs rooms as an office. I hope they got rid of that asbestos, I yeah, have what? to say. That's um, I don't know the history of the house before my dad's family moved in. The house always creeped the fuck out of my siblings and I to the point that if we had chores to do over there, we would either try to trade chores or bribe another sibling so we either didn't have to go at all or at least didn't have to go alone. On to the story itself. Like I said, I was probably around six or seven. The upstairs of the house had a lot of old toys, so my siblings and I would go up there and play while our dad was downstairs, or we would take toys down to play in the office area. One day, broad daylight, I was walking up the stairs. About halfway up, I stopped and turned around. I'm not sure why I did this now, but what I saw was a black figure of what appeared to be a man coming up the stairs. It was black like you would expect a silhouette to be, so there were no visible features, but it was a but it was tall and man-shaped. This literally sounds exactly like the description that we talked about last week with Estefania and her family. Two weeks, sorry, seeing those fucking shadowy figures in their house. Like it was described as a tall man silhouette. I'm going to barf. Yeah. Keep going. (laughs) I turned back around and ran the rest of the way up the stairs because there was nowhere else for me to go. I got to the top of the stairs and turned back around, but the figure was gone and I booked it out of there. I never saw the figure again. I'm very skeptical when it comes to things like ghosts and the supernatural, but this is something I've never been able to explain since it was in the middle of the day and even that staircase got enough natural light that it couldn't have couldn't have just been the shadows playing tricks on me it was very clearly the pitch black shape of a man walking up the stairs love the show (laughs) that's the end that's really fucking terrifying i feel like she said about six or seven yeah i actually don't i'm sorry i'm it's their name is minette i don't know if this is a male or female well or how they identify regardless i feel like that story um reminds me I feel like a lot of people have those kind of not, not, I'm not trying to like diminish minute no. story, but um, uh, I feel like when you're at that age, you're very impressionable. And it makes mm-hmm. me wonder one of two things. One explain away is like vivid imagination. You see a shadow, mm-hmm. you project this fear mm-hmm. or two. What if, because yes, that's the case. Spirits are able to like mm-hmm. get yeah, away you're with like being, the most susceptible when you're that age. Yeah. Cause you believe it mm-hmm. and you're like, Holy fucking shit. Yeah. No, I um, totally, I'm totally on board with that. Amazing. Um, yeah, that's super creepy. And I love how applicable it was to something we recently talked about. Um, again, if you have a story like that or a murder or a any other ghost creepy, whatever. <laughs> if, murdered, if you have murdered, we would love to know. So please email us at rwfpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on 
social media at RWF Podcast. But should we just get right into yeah, it? Yeah, let's get right into it. So <laughs> now that I, I've talked for so long. No. Um, so I'm not really sure how to describe this story because it kind of covers a lot okay. of different facets that we find interesting here at RWF Podcast. So we love a multitasker. We do. So once again, per like the third week in a row, this story comes from my best friend, Katie, who's basically providing <laughs> you, all Katie. of the content. She sent me the story like a long, long time ago. It's from uh, Outside Magazine. It's the only place I believe the story has been printed. Oh. So did I, and she basically sent me, because she is the sweetest person. She sent me basically like screenshots oh my of God. the article. That's so sweet. Did I have to then transcribe it myself because it was in PDF form? You betcha. So this might be the oh, the wow. most effort I've put <laughs> Season I two. We're so <laughs> proud. Is Outside Magazine like, like an outdoorsy oh, people magazine? Okay. We don't know. I mean, it, uh, that would be very applicable to okay. this story because okay. this story in the magazine is referred to as terror in the wild slash stranger in the shelter. Okay. Oh my God. So this is the story of Margaret McFadden Herrett. And she has never told this story um, up until this recent publication. Oh my God. And the story takes place in the mid seventies. Okay. Uh, she's described um, at the time as being a typical girl of the mid seventies in the American South. Her main passions were her dog, her friends, and canoeing in the in the. I wrote pod. I'm assuming that's pond. Uh huh. So let's try that again. Okay. <laughs> her main passions were her dog, her friends, and canoeing in the pond outside her family's house in Sumter, South Carolina. I can really relate to the first two, and then you lost me. So yeah. Um. You know, you don't like a good canoe ride. I don't like being outdoors. Um, oh well. Duh. Unless I have a beer in hand and I'm standing still. Indoor or standing <laughs> or sitting. How about sitting still? <laughs> Um, <laughs> she was also incredibly bright, having finished high school in only three years and had turned 17 just before starting at the University of South Carolina. In the fall of 1973, as she started her freshman year studies, Margaret found her place in a counterculture neighbor- neighborhood in Columbia's Five Points District, just a few blocks from the USC campus. She loved the hippie boutiques, hole-in-the-wall restaurants, and new age stores, which basically just like sounds like present-day San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Slash like Brooklyn. Okay. Um, she got a job waitressing at a popular restaurant in Five Points, which is where, in March of 1974, she met a man named Joel Polson. He was tall, slender, and fit, with long hair, a mustache, and goatee. Basically, oh. Jonathan Van Ness. <laughs> wow, could I have stumbled over that name more? Yeah. Um, also, like that's kind of offensive to JVN, I have to say. <laughs> he, he sounds more like a weird circus man. Um, he was nine years older than Margaret, but appeared kind and young at heart and was kind of sort of fella who wore shorts year round. Oh, God. <laughs> that Honestly, you couldn't have given me a more clear description of what this man yeah, is like. Thank you. Okay, it's great. Straight from this article. Who's the article by? Don't remember. Cool. Um, <laughs> wow. Can't, can't credit anyone. Um, so... From the first night that Joel and Margaret met, Joe, Joel spoke... Wow, Joel is a really hard name to say out loud. This yeah. Time. Joel spoke nonstop of a great adventure that he had planned. Mm-hmm. A hike of the entirety of the Appalachian Trail. No. Appalachian? Appalachian? App- I, I, always, I always say Appalachian. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Appalachian, but I'm going to continue not, to say yeah, Appalachian because it sounds we weird um, coming out of my mouth. Cool. Um, it would take months to traverse all 2,200 miles of it. Oh, 
Literally, if you if someone was like, "Would you like to go on a two point two mile hike?" I would be like, "I'm gonna really have to like do some soul searching to see if I can agree to that." I don't know if I I've talked about this on this podcast, but like when we first started college, or you were a year older than me, so Mm -hmm. when I first started college, I had a lot of blackout most of my freshman year. Yeah, like you don't know. Um, There were a lot of people who told me like, "Oh, if your college offers like some kind of like pre orientation, (laughs) you should do it." Guess what I fucking did? Did you did you fucking pre-orientation? I did that fucking like outdoors, like no. hiking shit. No. That I don't know what got into me, but they like it, they very much like did not describe what it was gonna be like at all. I was just like, oh I'll like I'll meet I'll meet some people and like it'll be good. It's only like four days. It <laughs> it was truly my nightmare situation. It was exa- it, it, I'm pretty sure we did hike part of the Appalachian Trail. And it was the kind of thing where you you had to have all of your belongings in a backpack on your back, all of our food, everything that we were going to like, all of our water, everything that we needed for those days. I didn't shower for four days. We did not have tents. We had tarps that we tied to a tree and we slept under them. One girl woke up with a raccoon on her face and I cried myself to sleep every night. I wish I were kidding. <laughs> About three days in, my entire group revolted against our group leader and told her we were not going to continue hiking and we would need to be picked up and taken back to the base camp, which is exactly what happened. Can you imagine, though, being that group leader and, like, really trying to, like, (laughs) make sure these freshmen have, like, a great time and being told, like, being revolted against being, like, literally, fuck you. Yeah. See you around campus, but take us home. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened. I mean, we were very nice. She was, like, like, she was kind of just, like... Yeah, I could kind of tell you guys were not that into it. And it just, oh my God, it was so hard. (laughs) It was like someone, someone who was like a part of the. It wasn't like a a a junior. Okay, I was about to be like. No, no, no. Okay. Back to the story. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's, that's I really need to. I, I love. Sure my experience was, is just like this woman's. I love hearing stories I don't know about you, like 10 years into our friendship. Oh my God, yeah. Um. From the first night they met, Joel spoke non. Oh, I already said that. Okay. Um, when Joel proposed that Margaret jo- join him on the expedition, she laughed off at first, mainly because while ambitious, she was not particularly athletic. So the idea of hiking mountains for months was not exactly an appealing idea. Yeah. Yes, because this would be taking months. <laughs> I I literally months. I literally can't imagine. Yeah. Um, however, as time wore on and Joel continued to broach the topic. Margaret eventually wore down and began to create a plan with him. She wasn't interested in Joel romantically, but was drawn to his upbeat, generous personality and his desire to pursue big, life-shaping experiences that he was eager to share. Um, uh-huh. Furthermore, Margaret had separately also decided she didn't want to return to USC for her sophomore year, finding herself uninspired and out of place. Okay, honey. I'm, I'm not loving where it's going, but you know. Um... See, when I first was reading this, I thought I knew where I was going to. It's not where going where you think it's going to go. So okay, just stay tuned. Oh, I'm here. Um, <laughs> even though only 93 people had completed the hike of the entire trail that year prior, Margaret was eager for the adventure, especially since she was at a crossroads in life and lived under the inspiration of Eastern religions. That time is a vast human. Wait, that time. Sorry, that time is vast and human life is short. Therefore, she was not afraid of death or anything else, really, according to her friends. So, like, actually kind of the ideal, but, like, yeah. if that's, like, your philosophy and you're like, yeah. I'm not scared to die. Good for you. I don't. And, like, I want to travel the world. Like, and, and and thinking about it, like, this is a really poor example. <laughs> but as 
28 is really fast approaching. Yeah. I've been reflecting a lot on my early 20s mm-hmm. and the things that were important to me then. And the things, a lot of the important things that were important to me then were being like as social as possible. Right. And like going out and doing things and making sure that I was, I mean, granted a lot of things were like going to bars, but I was also going to like a lot of shows and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing friends all the time. And I was like, if, if I had, if I had a day off, like it was all about like, who can I see? Who can I see? What can I do? What kind of shenanigans can I get myself into? Yeah. And if it was a weekend night and I wasn't at a bar, then like it was the lamest, like, like failed. Same. Whereas now I could not be the more opposite. Mm -hmm. Like where I'm like, I love staying home and going to bed and sleeping (laughs) and face masks and related things are wonderful um, and watching TV in bed. And so, um, I think that in, in, in (laughs) reading, <laughs> I love how you're gonna you're like, how are you gonna tie this in? Please tell me. Oh, I was saying like I think that looking back on like my early twenties, I'm, I'm not that I'm saying that if someone had proposed this hike uh-huh. to me, yeah. I'd have been like, yeah, but I but I can understand being at that age. Yes. And you 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 feel like you're an adult because you kind of are, and especially mm-hmm. at 19. You know, you feel like you're an adult, so it's like, oh, like I'm I'm old enough that I can take charge of my life, I can do these grandiose things, but you're still young enough with a naivete that you're like this is a smart thing to do. Or like, right. this is something that one should do. Well, I think that's why a lot of people like go abroad in college. Cause you're yeah. just like, what do I have to lose? I have no risk. Like, I don't have anybody waiting for me at home. Like I don't exactly. have responsibilities. Let's live it up. Yeah. So in, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> in May, 1974, Joel and Margaret began their hike in Georgia at spring Springer mountain. Just for context in spring, the Appalachian trail is a stunning sight. The trees are just beginning to bud. The wild wildflowers are in full bloom and the forests are flooded with light against a blue gra- the blue gray formations of the mountains against the sky. I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah. I don't know if that's a sentence I wrote, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> basically just being like, I think they start off the trail and it was like, Oh my God, everything is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like so one with nature, but however, the trail climbed steadily and mercilessly, and the inexperienced hikers were weighed down with their overloaded backpacks. Mm-hmm. At the end of their first day, they had only covered six miles and had decided to settle in a low gap shelter down a 190 yard side trail. The shelter was a small concrete hut in a glade next to a curving brook. Okay. So I think that, again, I don't know much about hiking, but I think that these like little shelters, like these little kind of like mm-hmm. cabin stone structures are like placed mm-hmm. throughout the trail for hikers to yeah. have some shelter. Um, they encountered another group of foresters with chainsaws early in the day, what? but there was <laughs> only one hiker with them in the first landmark. So basically like they, they had like, they'd, they'd seen some they'd people, seen other down people trees. before. Yes. Okay. But when they got to the shelter, there was only one person there um, at this first landmark shelter whose name was Ralph. Okay. I, lo- I just thought you were casually being like, they had seen a, a band of, of people, you know, with chainsaws just yeah. running through the forest, but... <laughs> yeah, one re- was referred to as Leatherface, but... Uh. <laughs> you know. Um, so, Ralph was a little older than, than Joel, so much older than Margaret, but was much smaller, about five inches shorter and slight of build. He had a wispy mustache, horn-rimmed glasses, and receding blonde hair combed straight back. Oh, I don't like that. Nope, nor should you. He appeared harmless... Mm. Uh-huh. But down on his luck, due to his sad appearance and measly belongings, <laughs> such as a leather jacket and canvas rucksack. Whatever that is. I think right. that's like a bag. Um, you, don't, you don't hike the Appalachian Trail with a leather jacket. Okay. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> wow, I'm so smart. No, no, it's, it's, it's good. Okay. Uh, the three conversed for a bit before Margaret decided to go wash herself in the stream. Joel joined her and when alone, he whispered to her that he didn't trust Ralph. Mm. He explained... 
as you just so astutely pointed out, Thank you. that Ralph didn't look like a hiker. And he was wearing suede desert boots and didn't have any proper gear. Mm-hmm. For fear that Ralph might rob them, the two hurried back to the shelter, but found that Ralph hadn't moved and that their gear was untouched. Having calmed down a bit, the two strung up a clothesline and hung up their wet clothes. They then started uh, making a fire to cook dinner. They offered Ralph some food, but he declined, instead making some trips to and from the trees, gathering wood for the fire. Still, Joel and Margaret, uh, sorry, still Joel told Margaret that they should head out first thing in the morning and that they could make another stop for breakfast once they were a mile or two further up the trail. Yeah. Margaret eventually fell asleep while Joel stayed awake with Ralph, sitting silently by the fire. Like, what? This is so eerie. Yeah, it's I hate like, this. I'm gonna stay up with this man just to, like, I think he just was like, I wanna make sure he doesn't, like, rob yeah. or murder us. Yeah. The next thing that Margaret remembers, Joel was waking her, telling her that it was morning and that they, that they should head out. She began to get dressed as Joel walked down to the stream to splash some water on his face before doubling back. As she was lacing up one of her boots, she heard a loud, sharp blast. And when she looked up, she saw Joel had slumped into an awkward crouch, <gasps> motionless with his head rested on the fire ring. Oh, my God. This For, is the first day. Yeah, this is, well, this, now we're in the mor- morning of day number two. Okay, great. So things are not off to a great start for Margaret and really not off to a great start for Joel. No. I would say they're maybe they're at an end for Joel. Uh you will see. Okay. <laughs> Before Margaret had time to process, Ralph leapt into the shelter, oh standing over her, brandishing a large revolver, <gasps> ordering her to roll over and be quiet. In shock, Margaret did what he said, and Ralph proceeded to tie her hands behind her back with twine. He then ordered her to her feet and guided her up a narrow path just into the woods. She asked him if Joel was dead. No, he told her, just hurt. Margaret responded, could you pull him away from the fire so he doesn't get burned? Because as I mentioned, like he had like slumped yeah. over kind of near where they had been building a fire the night previous. Ralph agreed, but to keep her at bay, he sat her beside a slim hardwood, tied her feet together around the tree and blindfolded her. Um, when she asked Ralph what he would plan to do with her, he said, I don't know. Oh, great. That's awesome. <laughs> as Ralph walked away, all Margaret was left with was the sound of trees and birds as she sat on the forest floor. She calmed herself down by imagining that it was all a fictional story. It was all a fictional story, period. Okay. Um, which is something we've... we've <laughs> One way. Well, this is something that we've, yeah. we've talked about with kind of these survival stories mm-hmm. is that I think something that victims do in order to survive is to pretend that this is happening to someone else. Like, this isn't me right now. I'm watching a movie. This is something like kind of almost just like out-of-body experience. Right, right. Um, uh, Ralph returned 10 or 15 minutes later, removed her blindfold, and led her back to the shelter. Joel was nowhere to be seen. When she asked Ralph where he was, he said, I got rid of him. Oh, no. At this point, Margaret was numb with shock. Joel was dead, the first documented murderer on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, my God. But why? What was the motive? Ralph and Joel had barely said two words to one another. Right. Um, I will say, before I keep going, this... This article does a really, really, that I stole this all from, does a really, really beautiful job of kind of ping-ponging back and forth between Margaret's story and mm-hmm. also about Joel and who he was and who he meant to the people in his life. Mm-hmm. Didn't include that just because of times. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> no, didn't include it because of time's sake. And it was also just like a real bummer where you're just like, mm-hmm. and then, because it would be like you read in like paragraph about like Margaret's ordeal and then it'd be like, yeah. Joel's sister remembered oh the fond time that they rode no. bikes together. Right. And just like, you're like, oh my God. I'm sure he was a lovely person. And just like, just the fact that like, he like tried to stay up 
all night and like watch this guy to make sure that she was safe because like when you first started the story i was like oh joel yeah. is bad news exactly nope yeah oh, joel. yeah and i feel so bad for him especially because like especially in reading this story a second time it's kind of like i think he did exactly what i would have done which is like would i have panicked and ran, ran run away probably not because i would have like tried to calm myself down and been like this is fine it's normal yeah but i would have been like we're like in the morning we're getting up and we're getting out right I didn't, know. Didn't work out. That's terrifying to think, yeah. Um, back at the shelter, Ralph went through Joel's pack, taking traveler's checks and some change. Ralph then led Margaret into the woods, deeper this time, about 200 yards from the shelter. She asked Ralph if he was going to kill her, um, to which he responded, oh, no, sorry, she said, you don't have any reason to. I didn't do anything to you. Mm-hmm. Well, Ralph said, neither did Joel. Perfect. He once again tied her legs around a tree trunk and bound her hands behind her back. He then wedged her backpack behind her as a backrest. He took Joel's helmet, filled it with water, and placed it beside her, and dropped a bag of granola on her lap. He then told her he was going to leave her there, with a note back at the shelter with directions to where to find her, noting that someone could come by in an hour, or perhaps not until tomorrow. Like, why? Lastly, he balanced Joel's watch on a nearby log so she could read it, and then disappeared into the trees. What? That's so weird. I think that this was like Maybe. his way of being like, I don't want to kill you, but yeah. I, I need to get a head start. So I'm like, so like had he tied her up back at the shelter, there was a better chance someone's going to find her sooner so mm-hmm. they could find him. Okay. We've got, there's much more to come. Don't okay. worry. This okay. is the tip of the iceberg. Oh my God. Great. Yeah. I love when the, the, the murder is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the shaft. Thank shall you. We? Thank you so much. Um, about 15 minutes passed and Ralph returned. Margaret realized in this moment that she wasn't afraid of death, um, as she had mentioned before, but the, mm. the actual act of dying terrified her. Okay. But as she was making her peace with God, because she assumed that he was going to murder her, Ralph announced that he didn't want to kill her, nor did he want to kill Joel. He had simply wanted Joel's gear, and he couldn't physically overpower him. So Worth it. Yeah, really. Like, that's, that's a great motive. <sighs> so he told her she had a choice. She could stay there as he had left her. Or she could continue to hike with Ralph, and that at the next highway, he would let her go. Oh, my God. Margaret decided that while traveling through the woods with a murderer wasn't the ideal option, neither was being trapped and tied up, so she th- where she could easily, easily die from starvation or exposure. Right, and she has no idea, she has no way of knowing if he actually left a note for of course, someone to go find her. this wasn't her planned fucking hike. Right. It's not like she's like, okay, like, like if she had some sort of prior knowledge of where mm-hmm. they were going, she could be like, okay, like, I'm here, like, this is the probability. Right. Um, so she chose the latter option, told Ralph to untie her, and they proceeded back to the trail, with Margaret leading the way and Ralph close behind her with his gun. Oh, God. Once they reached a junction, they continued to head north, even though they could have backtracked to a road less than five miles away. Ralph reiterated that he was going to let her go, but if they ran to anyone else before then, she had to play along and not say a word, signaling her distress, otherwise he would kill everyone, starting with her. Amazing. Like, no no pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as they kept walking, Ralph's demeanor changed into one of kindness. He told her that he could, that she could set the pace, that they could stop to rest whenever she needed. However, Margaret was not convinced that he was going to let her go, especially since she was the only person who could link her to Joel's murder. Right. She was convinced that at any moment he could shoot her in the back or knock her over the steep drop off alongside the trail. She steadied her nerves by doing everything he said and by talking to Ralph. Through their conversations, she learned that he had spent a lot of his life in and out of prison and that recently he had escaped and that the FBI was probably looking for him. Oh, 
That's wonderful. <laughs> like just just who you want to <laughs> yeah. be on an Appalachian Trail <laughs> yeah. with. We FBI's love FBI's most wanted. We love small talk. <sighs> About four miles into their hike, they began they began to stop to rest every couple of minutes after Ralph became overwhelmed with the weight of Joel's pack that he had stolen. <laughs> like, careful what you wish for, I guess. Yeah, dude. honestly, okay. Um, it was at one of these stops that the two men oh that the two men with chainsaws came upon them. One of them being the foresters she and Joel had encountered the day before. Oh. Instead of being relieved that this was her chance for rescue, Margaret began to panic, mm-hmm. realizing that if the foresters suspected anything different or wrong, Ralph might start shooting. Oh my god. At least they're holding chainsaws. <laughs> I mean these chainsaws gotta come into play at some point. <laughs> um, however, despite recognizing her from the day before, the forester did not create any sense of alarm in Ralph. Instead, he answered Ralph's questions about the next road crossing into the north, which was still a good long hike away. The two men then hurried off due to their own plans, leaving Margaret with the realization that she might have to spend a night with Ralph in these woods. Oh, my God. Makes me want to die. Yeah, I was like, how you, how you doing over there? This is an anxiety-inducing <laughs> story. Um, the two continued to hike as the trail became narrower and more arduous with rocks and roots. Margaret continued to fill the time with conversation, learning that he had been born up north, but had spent a lot of time out west in the mountains, where he had been able to make it with just a pocket knife. But this was not the case in the southern Appalachians, where he was completely out of his element. He wanted to return back west, thus uh, needing this, thus the need for stealing Joel's gear. I mean, okay, again, with the need <laughs> to steal yeah. and then resorting to murder. He had a gun. Like, he could have just pointed at him and been like, leave your stuff. That is a really go. good point. And, like, they probably would have been like, cool. Yeah. Go for like, it. Will do. We'll be fine. <laughs> um, at their next stop, upon inspecting his map, they re- uh, Joel and Margaret realized that they were less than three miles away from the next road crossing. However, Ralph announced that there were a change of plans. Mm-hmm. Like, shocking. I'm really. so surprised. The murderer went back on his word. He would not let Margaret go when they reached the road as initially planned. He wanted more time to figure out his next move and wanted her with him. <sighs> he stated they would hitchhike to the nearest town, get a motel room, and then he would let her go in the morning. Oh, my God. At this point, <laughs> Margaret wasn't sure what to feel. On one hand, he wouldn't kill her in the woods. But on the other hand, she was pretty convinced he was going to kill her anyways. Right. I mean, at least you're he's moving you closer to civilization, which exactly. seems like a very dumb idea on his part, but great yes. for her. Yes. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. They continued on their path, forging through a series of short, steep climbs, and then down a long, rocky descent towards the cars passing on Georgia Route 75. Once there, Ralph repeated his warning. Say anything to anyone, and everyone dies. Uh-huh. After a few minutes flagging down cars, a young woman pulled over and offered them a ride. Once in the car, Ralph told her that they had traveler's checks, but they had lost their IDs and wondered if there was a place that they could stay that would overlook that fact. Like, this is so 70s. I'm like, first of all, what is a traveler's check? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She drove them nine miles south to the North Georgetown of Helen, described as a tourist storybrook Bavarian village. What? Yeah. She's just like some like cute like chocolate shops and yeah, this woman they, like like let's get a waffle. Literally, basically. Oh god. Um once there, they made t- their way to the Chattahoochee Motel. Okay. I include that just because I wanted to. I say mean, we had we had to. Where they were able to register a room for ten dollars as <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Joel Polson. Lol. Because remember, the travelers' checks are in Joel's names. So he's pretending to be his okay, great. murder victim. 
Once in the room, Margaret was convinced Ralph was going to rape and murder her, but instead he was mostly focused on if the TV news would be reporting that Joel's body had been found. When this was not the case, they then went to the restaurant next door, got some beer and food before returning back to the motel and watching an Elvis Presley movie. As Ralph oh began God. to practice Joel's signature so he could cash his traveler's checks, he told Margaret that she could take a memento of Joel from his pack, but she declined. Weird. Super weird. When Margaret requested to take a shower, Ralph followed her into the bathroom, but only so to make sure she didn't try and escape through the bathroom window. Afterwards, he admonished her for being so scared of him. He told her, it's too bad that we didn't meet under different circumstances. If this all hadn't happened, I could have really liked you. Oh, like, oh, really? Oh, oh couldn't you have? Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Same. Wow. <laughs> you dick. This dude's a fucking dick. Um, um, yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> Uh, surprisingly, Margaret was able to sleep through the night, even though Ralph sat nearby and alert in a chair with a gun beside him. God. The next morning, they cashed more of Joel's traveler's checks and headed to a restaurant called The Worst House for Coffee. <laughs> Worst spelled W-R-S-T. Oh, House spelled okay. H-A-U-S. Because we are oh, we're, in a we're, tiny little, we're, like, <laughs> like, snow-capped village. We're in the World Showcase at Epcot. <laughs> we sure are. Um... Uh, Ralph told her that he was still planning on letting her go, but didn't want to leave her to hitchhike home to South Carolina, saying that there was no telling what sort of person might pick her up. Oh. Like, who is this delusional freak? <laughs> Someone who has no sense of irony, that's for Honestly. sure. Um, he, d- he deduced from a map of Georgia that there was a bus station nine miles south in Cornelia, and from there they could go their separate ways. The pair hitchhiked their way to to the Cornelia Greyhound Terminal, where Margaret bought a ticket back to Columbia and Ralph got a ticket to Atlanta, um, which was set to leave before her bus. As they waited for their respective buses, Ralph commented on how he probably had been stupid to let her live and that he knew she would go to the police. However, he counted on the fact that that he would have a few hours head start. Furthermore, he counted, uh, sorry, furthermore, he said that if she were to call the police as soon as he leaves and there are cops waiting for him upon his arrival in Atlanta, he would start shooting innocent people. Great. You should write a book about this, he said. You could make some money. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. Then Ralph's bus arrived and he calmly got on. As she watched the bus pull away, Margaret could not believe the fact that she was still alive but all she wanted to do was get home, even with a still lingering fear that Ralph would find her. When she finally made it back to Columbia, she tried calling her older brother and parents, and they didn't answer. Cool. Um, cool, cool. So she so she called the police, telling them that there had been a murder in Georgia. So a murder in Savannah. There been a <laughs> sounds like there's been a, a whole wait, so sorry. There's been a whole lot of murder. Um, yeah. So. I realized this like story kind of like segued really quickly, but so they they they're she's safe. Okay, he's gone. Yeah, but like, can't like can you imagine? I, I, I that's so unbelievable. Like wh- what 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 the fuck? But there's more. <sighs> okay. Um, Sheriff Frank Baker Baker was the first to respond to Margaret's account, being met by the GBI special agent. Um, Stanley L. Thompson, who found Joel's body covered with with leaves and sticks across the stream from the shelter. Mm -hmm. His clothes were in disarray, suggesting he'd been dragged by the armpits. His head was in a plastic bag tied around with a piece of string to keep the blood from being strewn around in the area. He'd been shot in the head, and the bullet remained lodged behind his right ear. Joel. That was so sad. As Margaret described her ordeal to officers, she was just as confused as those listening to her about Ralph's motives. 
It was just strange that he knew the whole time that it would be because of me that he would get caught and all, but still was going to let me go, she said. I don't know what his motive was or anything, but he was unbelievably kind to me. He really was. Mm. A week after Joel's murder, on May 16th, 1974, the Atlanta PD received a tip from a woman who recognized the police police sketch of Ralph and that she knew where he lived. Mm -hmm. Agent Thompson and Sheriff Baker obtained a search warrant for the man's apartment where they found Joel's backpack, clothes, and camping gear, as well as a revolver containing four live rounds and one empty cartridge. Like, basically, like, could they have just, like, found something was, like, I kill, like, Like I I am a murderer. Yeah, the literal smoking gun. (laughs) Um, They waited for him to return, upon which he was arrested. The suspect, who was described as, upon arrest as being meek as a lamb. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Was identified as Ralph Howard Fox. He was 31, born and raised in Detroit, and had spent his early years in trouble with the law for various crimes, such as car theft and B&E. In 1963, when he was 20, Ralph had run off with a 16-year-old girl named Anne. While he was arrested for statutory rape in this case, he ended up marrying her a few months later. As one does. Oh, honey. In March 1964, while Anne was pregnant, Ralph forced a Detroit high schooler into his car at at gunpoint and drove her into a wooded area in Troy, Michigan. A cop happened to be to come upon them just as he was tying the girl's hands behind her back. Mm-hmm. It was from this for this crime that he was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but ended up escaping in 1969, but was eventually recaptured. Once Jesus, yeah, uh, he was then paroled several several years later, where he then attempted to murder his now ex-wife Anne before fleeing, which is <sighs> I believe when he uh-huh. encountered Joel and uh, Margaret. Oh my God! Well, thank God for Anne. Um, when arrested for Joel's murder, he provided no concrete motive for his crimes, but pled guilty and was sent to uh, sent to life in prison in the Georgia State Prison. However, in July 1991, he was granted one month reprieve to attend his brother's funeral, which eventually. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It doesn't take a month to attend a funeral. And also, like, what the why? <laughs> why? Why? What? Um, and this one month reprieve eventually turned into an early parole. Are you fucking kidding me? Apparently not. How long was he in jail? Uh, let's say 1974, the tw- uh, 16, 17 years. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we all know life in prison doesn't mean life in prison. Right. Well, it's it's really just like life in prison, but like, you know, we don't want them to waste their whole life in prison. Yeah. Let's just like take the age of the person they murdered and divide it by two. That's perfect. And that's how long that they'll, they'll serve. Amazing. Um... So he attempted to start a new life in a rural town 50 miles north of Detroit, but after seven months, he broke parole and was arrested once again after the naked, strangled body of (gasps) 29-year-old Diane Good was found in a muddy field with Ralph's car nearby. Despite protesting his innocence, he was convicted of this murder and eventually died in prison of lung cancer in 2003. Oh, bye. Yeah, so this... Story. This article just like threw in this like murder, this other murder like at the end, and I was like, uh, squiz. Yeah, sorry. And I mean, I was, like, if he hadn't been let out on parole for no reason, that person would be alive. I mean, I okay. Here's what I'll say. I did some research on this case. There wasn't a whole lot of information out there. Basically, I think that there was something to do with like the mud, like the mud in the field where her body was found matched some mud on his car. Uh huh. But, but it wasn't definitive. It wasn't definitive. And, like, I think 
I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to say that he didn't murder this woman because mm-hmm. there's a really good chance he did because he is a convicted Psycho. murderer. Yeah. But at the same time, like, it sounds like he was convicted for pretty circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. and the fact that he had killed before. Okay. Which, like... But, like, I'm not mad about it, honestly. N- no, but it just would suck if the person the, actually... is still out there. Yeah, that's just... Yeah. No, no, it's, it's a good point. Um, But we're going to end the story on a happy note. Okay. Because... Um, <laughs> Margaret is 62 years old now. She is married with two children, three stepchildren, and two grandchildren. Oh. Now retired after an impressive career with the U.S. Agency for International Development, she reflects on her ordeal back in 1974 by saying, I'll explain to people that it almost feels like it happened to somebody else. Mm. But that's not exactly accurate. It's very much a part of me. But the whole thing is so surreal that it almost feels like a movie, as I said. Mm -hmm. A person does not know how you're going to react in that critical moment until you're in it. I had this calm, adrenaline, who knows if that's what it was. But I was calm. I'm not a passive person, but I was passive then, and it probably saved my life. Wow. And that's the story of Margaret, oh my God. Joel, and piece of who, shit Ralph. Who, yeah, who cares about him? Oh, my God. That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, so I felt like, I mean, I hope that that's <laughs> enjoyable to hear about Lil, like, or, yeah. Lil Murder, Lil I Survived, mm-hmm. Lil, um, Lil Bitch. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph is the Lil Bitch. Ralph the, is definitely the Lil Bitch of this story. Honestly. Um, that, that is such a thing to go through. And yeah, I mean, there are, there are so many ways that you could react in that situation. And it does sound like the fact that she was kind of like, she was kind of playing along and I think, yeah, that probably did save her. And there, it's crazy how many stories you hear out there where like the, the victim just like tries to compliment the person that's kidnapping them or it's just like super nice to them. And like, maybe they've never had someone be really nice to them before. And it like really works on them, which is crazy. But these people are clearly like, mentally ill or like i mean who at least knows? deranged yeah it's and uh, uh, sorry not to be derogatory towards mental illness but i think like not. i think we could agree that people who murder with really no motive there's something going on with them that yeah, is some not some right. wires got crossed at some point somewhere in yeah. the brain um but yeah that's i love her that's she she's like she reminds me of like uh Jamie Lee Curtis in the most recent Halloween movie. Like that's how I'm picturing her as like mm. a 62 year old woman, which is probably not the case, but well, well, I thought like the difference is that like Jamie Lee Curtis in <laughs> the most recent Halloween movie is like petrified. Yeah. Whereas like Margaret basically kind of sounds like she's kind of like, you know, yeah, it, it was, it was like a really like terrifying thing that happened to me and it definitely like, changed who I am as a person, but I've gone on to like have children and grandchildren and like have like a very successful a very successful career. Uh-huh. And it's like, it defines me, but it's not. Yeah. Like it's, it's, um, it does not define me. Right. It's just a part of who. Yeah. Who I yeah. Am. I can't, I'm sure after having, having an experience like that, you would like really look at life differently and be oh like, God. so oh grateful God. for everything. We should all live a little bit more like that, I guess. Yeah. Honestly, any story that, like, takes you to multiple locations is always the one that, like, really fucking freaks me out. It's like, okay, it's it's not just that you, like, encountered this psycho at the shelter. It's Mm -hmm. that he then took you through the woods for days Mm -hmm. and then to a motel. Like, it's just, like, at every—and then, like, I feel like at every point of the story, I could totally imagine being, like, 
is this where I I'm, I die? Right, like is this where he's going to kill me? Right. You're walking down a trail and someone has a gun to your back and literally at any moment could shoot. Like, can Whew. you can you imagine? I truly, truly cannot. Cool. Um, that was that, that was a great one. I love I love when they survive. I mean, Joel didn't get so lucky, but no. But um, can't win them all, I guess. Uh, uh, do we want to get petty? Yeah. What, what would you like to complain about this week? Um, my complaint this week is like, it's not even really a complaint because it's a hundred percent something that I bring on myself and could probably just change about myself. But I've noticed recently, or like really in the last few years, that I there are time there are just sometimes where I cannot finish a show, and I've done it so many times now. What shows? Okay, so I haven't finished Sabrina. Okay. I have not finished Killing Eve, although I will finish oh, it. I'm on like episode six, I think. Oh my God. How can you? St- I know. Well, that's the thing is I'm like, how can I stop? Like, is it just that shows are like not grabbing me anymore? Or is, I think it's like, I think that there is so much media to consume that every time I have yeah. a conversation with someone, I get a different recommendation. That is true. And I'm always kind of like adding it to the list. And it's first of all, like a big endeavor to start a new show. Mm-hmm. And second of all, yeah, yeah. Again, there's just there's just so much out there that it's impossible to get through it all. And there, these are shows that I am enjoying in the moment, but like because it's so the culture is so like binge and then nothing mm-hmm. that it's like there are times where I'll be like super into a show and watching it for like si- like six episodes in a day, then forget about it for like three days and never go back. Yeah, that or like the second season of a show comes out and you're mm-hmm. like, well, I saw the first season, but it was like almost a year ago and I don't remember what happens. Yeah. So like, I should probably rewatch the first season and then you just never get around to it. Right. No, completely. And I, there are things that I, we've talked about this many times and there are things that I love about um, binge watching culture. And there are things that are, yeah, like really suck about it where it's, it's like, you watch a show that you really, really enjoy and you're like, okay. And like, um, I'll get to see that again in, in, in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's so hard. That's 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 my complaint. It's not really a complaint. No, that's that's understandable. I'm I, gonna I, I, can, I can relate to that. Yeah. Um do you want to hear a subway complaint? Oh my god, of course. <laughs> so I my complaint in relation to the good old MTA is the fact that on the train line that I I live on a local train. Which, Me too. for those of you that don't know what that means, basically means, like, the local trains make all the stops. The express trains, like, will skip certain stops. Yeah. Meanwhile, I would like to point out that the train line I live on does not even have an express option. So... Yeah, just mine. Let's marinate on that. Right. So, but what I've noticed recently is... So, so normally, basically, like, I would get on the subway, have my headphones in, listen to a podcast or music, whatever, and I just, like, basically can zone out until my stop shows up. But what I started realizing is that around rush hour, because of like train congestion, mm-hmm. the train that I live on sometimes likes to just run express. Oh my God. I, I This literally happened to me two days ago and I came home like screaming. <laughs> and so I, I had been informed about this. And so it was the kind of thing where like I heard once they made, an, and it's always between my, it's between the stop before my stop mm-hmm. and my stop. Mm-hmm. So I heard it once, like over the announcement, they're like, you know, you know, this train would not be running express. So I like got off and I think I ended up just like walking mm-hmm. home because it was like a 15 minute walk as opposed to like a 15 second walk because right. I live on top of the subway. Yeah. But I didn't hear it the second time it happened mm-hmm. to me. 
So the next, so, so I'm like, okay, cool. The next stop is my stop. And the train goes. And then the next thing I know, oh, why are we above ground? <laughs> yep. We're passing my stop. So not only did we pass my stop, we passed five oh stops. Oh my God. So suddenly I am now basically like in the <laughs> middle like of like you're, deep. You're Brooklyn. at JFK. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm on Long Island and it was just like, uh, it pissed me off so much. Luckily I didn't have like a, I wasn't like in a huge rush Mm -hmm. or whatnot. And I understand the purpose, but also the thing is that like, it's not like they're making these clear announcements because you know how MT announcements are. It's like, (laughs) stand clear of the closing doors. (laughs) And you're like, what? Very accurate. Um, So it really fucking pissed me off. And again, I under like just, why do like you can't, it's basically like you're going express for no reason? Yeah. Well, this this like I just said happened. To, this has happened to me many times, but happened to me earlier this week where basically, yeah, it's like you already have to wait a long time when you live on a local stop because you can't take any of the express trains. So mm-hmm. I was like waiting t- on my way home from work, and like five express trains went by without a local coming. I, I I was looking at my phone and I waited for a local train for 25 minutes. Oh my God. Because it was, there was a delay on, because something had happened at another stop. Finally, the, the local train came and I took it a few stops and then the same thing happened where they're like, this train is now running express. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. There were five express trains before this train and there's no other local trains. Like what, in what world do you need this to be another express train? So irritating. And I just had to wait like so much longer for another, another local train to come. That would um, drive sorry, me insane. this is very first world problemy, but let me, hot tip. I've been taking the bus to work sometimes. Nope. It is, I'm telling you, if you know exactly where to get on, and you know the schedule, you can arrive like right when it's coming. I always get a seat. It's above ground so I can just like use my phone the whole time. It's extremely quiet. And I get off like way closer to work than I would on the subway. I don't think I could take a bus into Manhattan though. Yeah, I work, I live and work in Brooklyn, so it's much easier, but (laughs) hot tip, ever heard of a bus? Like, hmm, oh, heard God. of it. Um, yeah, not necessarily like the most like, exciting complaint of the week, but like it really fucking irritated me. <laughs> yeah, it really, me. really got there for me. Well, I, because I also do understand that like maybe if you do live like in deep Brooklyn, mm-hmm. like that train running express is like a godsend. You're like, oh my God, thank God we can now yeah. get to the next stop in like half the time. Yeah. But for someone who then had to turn right back around. Mm-hmm. And also like if we had skipped one stop or maybe two, I would have just gone off and walked. Right. Whatever. It's the fact, the fact that we skipped five, I was now went from being like 0.75 miles away from my apartment to two miles away from my apartment. It's like, great. Mm-hmm. On that note, um, <laughs> please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, please. Uh, honestly, we like when you give us ratings and leave We love it. <laughs> we, we love it when you tell us how great we are. Or if you tell us how gr- not great we are. Yeah, we've, we've gotten some poor, bad reviews, so. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> fine. We get it. We, we understand. Um, Hi, Hi, bitches. bitches.